just be aware? That's it? That's the Buddha's brilliant insight? Bullshit. Too simple. Simple? Yeah. Easy? Not even remotely. And that's for a few obvious reasons. First, dissonant vibrations are constantly being regenerated by the mind. Second, we lack a strong enough mind-body connection to even know exactly where in our body these dissonant vibrations are arising from. Third, the mind tends to dislike dissonant vibrations from unknown sources. And fourth, the mind tends not to want, aka aversion, what it dislikes. For example, let's say, I don't know, the loaded and vivid memory of your beloved high school girlfriend dumping you randomly arises. The thought triggers a lot. Grief, burning rage, numbness, a little bit of nausea. Running in parallel to these sensations, of course, are craving, aversion, desire, and suffering. It's all there. It's all uncomfortable. It's all unpleasant. Please, for the love of God, make it stop. Aha, but then you remember the Buddha's claim. If I am fully aware of an unpleasant sensation, then it will cease to be a source of suffering because I no longer have preferences for what happens to it. So all I have to do, you think to yourself, is place my undivided attention on these sensations, the kind of attention that's free from all clinging and fear, and the suffering will supposedly disappear. So you give it a go. First, you try pinpointing exactly where these sensations are occurring, down to the millimeter. Now, they can crop up literally anywhere on the body, meaning there's a lot of area to cover. Where do you even begin? In your chest? Eyebrows? Gallbladder? The hypothesis doesn't say. It could take a long while to locate their precise latitudes and longitudes, but for argument's sake, let's say you quickly track all of the sensations down. Maybe it's grief towards the center of your left shoulder socket, burning rage within the upper half of your descending colon, numbness in your Adam's apple, and nausea near your 11th thoracic vertebra. You can't focus well on all of the various sensations at once, so instead you just choose one of the pain's structural centers, zoom in with your attention, and wait. One second passes. And wait. Two seconds passes. Nothing's happening. Still uncomfortable. Five seconds. Ten seconds. The suffering doesn't seem to have stopped. How long should it take? A minute? An hour? The hypothesis doesn't say. It only claims that it'll disappear the moment you're fully mindful of the sensation. What was she wearing that day? Oops, the thought comes out of nowhere as just interesting enough to capture your attention. Hmm, good question. I think it was that navy blue v-neck shirt she always used to wear. You respond to no one in particular. Was she wearing jeans? It asks back. Hmm, interesting. Another good question. You know, honestly, I don't really remember. If you aren't careful, like a full-blown schizophrenic, you'll continue this psychotic narrative with yourself all the way back down into the inferno. God, her outfits are so cute. Oh, I loved her so much. Man, I would have done anything for her. Fuck, I can't believe she cheated on me with that ROTC guy. How could she? And then I forgave her? No self-respect. God, I was so desperate for love and handjobs. 
And then she dumped me? Me? In front of so many people? Humiliating. Why didn't I have the balls to dump her first? God, and then I cried like a fucking pussy. Fuck her. Fuck me. Jesus, this hurts. Oh, wow, this hurts bad. Wow, wow, this hurts really bad. At this point, the trickery of the mind has caused you to totally abandon the experiment by unconsciously lassoing you back into craving and aversion. It's done so through a series of perfectly compelling thoughts which play off of your unique emotional vulnerabilities. These trains of thoughts happen in a fraction of a second, so quickly and habitually that they often don't even register as being vibratory, as if the thoughts were written by and belong to you instead of just being witnessed by you, as if any thought actually mattered in the grand scheme of things. This is a real issue because, again, left to its own devices, the ego will persuade itself to ditch the experiment over and over. The mind will repeatedly convince itself that presence isn't the answer, that unhappiness can somehow only be solved through more gratification, complaining, and fantasizing. Yes, okay, here we go. Aware of being aware. This is really it. Yep, really doing it, really doing it, super present. Hmm, not really feeling any happier here. Oh God, this is so boring, so boring. Maybe this whole awareness thing doesn't work for me. Ooh, maybe what I need is a scone. Boom, just like that, sensations triggered and the cycle of suffering takes its first revolution. Put differently, we very easily think we're observing sensations when all we're really doing is, well, thinking. And given all of this, rather than suffering being reduced, as was gloriously on offer by the Buddha, it has multiplied. More unfortunate still is the fact that the mind somehow ends up blaming awareness as the misery's instigator rather than on the thoughts themselves, which are the true culprit. Although simple on the surface, the Buddha's hypothesis turns out to be extremely difficult to run properly for other reasons, too. Not only is maintaining unwavering focus on sensation nearly impossible, but the experiment also asks that we not expect any kind of extrinsic reward for successfully doing so. Why is that such a problem? Imagine it like this. A group of researchers tells you to, quote, stack 10 plates on top of your head and then walk a mile without spilling them. Why, you ask? Well, because based on the joyous testimonials from a few successful participants from the past, your reward upon completion might make you feel as though you lived on Mars. How about that? The whole thing may as well have been devised by a bunch of conspiratorial hippie lunatics. Your reward might feel as though you lived on Mars? What the hell does that even mean? What does living on Mars even feel like? And how long might the feeling last? And why can't they guarantee that it'll happen? And why exactly 10 plates and not 11, say? How many times would you allow yourself to attempt and then fail the experiment? One time? Five? Twenty? A hundred? At what point would the unpleasant feelings of frustration override the abstract and hypothetical reward? Now imagine being asked to run the same exact experiment, 
stack 10 plates on your head, walk a mile with the same vague prize, aka living on Mars, only now you have a broken neck and flies persistently buzzing and tickling the inside of your ears. How many tries would you give it then? This is analogous to what beginning meditators experience when first running the Buddha's hypothesis, only the stakes are way higher, the challenge far greater, and the reward substantially more nebulous. That is, instead of a broken neck, you have constant and severe body aches from sitting for hours in a row. Instead of buzzing flies, you have an unleashed, distraught, and lusting mind. Instead of a fun thought experiment, you risk wasting half of your life sitting in lotus pose, watching the breath. And all of this, as a reminder, only in hopes of maybe experiencing an unbounded state that has no reference point to anything we would normally consider peaceful or happy. One that's apparently unconditionally free from all suffering, whatever that means. How many times would you be willing to run something like this? What if you were told that it would take millions of attempts? Nevertheless, whether you trust the anecdotal evidence of past seekers and yogis or not, their claim lives on full display for all those curious, brave, and yes, perhaps desperate enough to test it. Be aware of any sensation without attachment or distraction and it will cease to generate suffering and begin generating unconditional peace. Have as many attempts as you like. It's possible that you sort of follow the logic but are still majorly confused. That you find the reasoning here to be sound in both a roundabout and unhelpful way. A cascade of thoughts may be bubbling up to the surface. The frustrated mind trying to make sense of the argument. If that's you, this is the perfect time to stress test all of the claims and hypotheses from this essay. Really try running them in your own brain. First, suffering is identification with desire and is caused by the attachment to the idea that reality, big reality, should somehow be different from how it actually is. Even if it's slight, is this essay dissatisfying to you in some way? If so, this is a subtle form of suffering. What were you hoping for instead? What was your subconscious expectation or desire upon finishing? Maybe it was a desire for it to be less confusing, or that it be more actionable, or that it have more scientific rigor. Maybe the desire was for something else entirely. Whatever it is, pause this audio, and then notice if this desire is generating any kind of negativity in you. Second, every desire includes both craving and aversion. Maybe desiring less confusion is really a code name for craving coherent worldviews and an aversion for dissonant ones. Maybe more actionable is really a craving for greater control over the future and an aversion towards chaos. Maybe scientific rigor is actually a craving for more references to neuroscience and an aversion towards using capital letters and pauses for things like the unknown, awareness, presence. Peel back the explanatory layers of your mental preferences here until you reach their core. What do you really want here? 
Third, you don't really want X or Y. You desire the sensations you think will arise from having or not having X or Y. You don't really want coherent worldviews control over the future or references to neuroscience. You want the sensations you assume will arise as a result of having coherent worldviews control over the future in references to neuroscience. Consider this. If you felt exactly how you wanted to feel, would there be any desire left? Four, desires are thoughts arriving from the unknown, which is to say that you have no idea why you crave some of these realities while recoiling from the others. However far down in your mind you have to go, follow your explanatory rabbit hole to its conclusion and then take one more step into the abyss. Discover that your desire exists in perfect mystery. Five, all thoughts eventually manifest as physical sensation on the body. Maybe the thought of dissonant worldviews creates agitation in the collarbones. Maybe the concept of controlling the future brings warmth to the perennium. Maybe the mental image of capital U unknown causes eyebrows to furrow. Where do you feel the positivity or negativity? It's there. All it takes is a little time and patience to find it. Pause this audio and tune in. Six, the ego mind will persuade itself to ditch the experiment over and over. How many seconds did it take before you gave up on that last hypothesis and came back to this audio? Seven, sensations have some sort of frequency, amplitude, and direction to them. That is, they're always changing. After locating where the physical negativity exists on your body, determine what that particular sensation is like subjectively. How quickly or slowly is it vibrating? How powerful or subtle is its amplitude? Which direction is it moving in? Eight, that which is aware of vibration is not vibrating. That which is aware of suffering does not suffer. That which is aware of yourself is not yourself. Are you the frequencies and amplitudes? Or are you aware of the frequencies and amplitudes? Are you the changes? Or are you aware of the changes? You can't be both. It's always the latter. Nine. The moment suffering falls away through awareness, unconditional peace will bob up to the surface, occasionally followed by feelings of unconditional love and joy. Is there a beginning or an end to vibration? Is there space encompassing thought and sensation? Is there something else to do? This is who you really are. Timeless. Deathless. Everything. And nothing. Beyond gain and loss. No fear. Pure love. We're educated to believe that peace is earned through action instead of it being a birthright. That joy is a reward only distributed at the end of a journey instead of it being used as stepping stones along the way. 
We're taught that love happens only after we deserve it instead of the other way around. And we're told that problems are to be eradicated through brute strength, cunning, and willpower. Either you work harder or you think smarter. What this essay is suggesting is the exact opposite. No one can fully think their way out of suffering or into unconditional happiness because thinking generates sensation, and sensational desire is the base layer of misery. The end of suffering, then, turns out not to be an intellectual pursuit at all. It's a practical one. It must be attempted. The experiment must be run again and again and again and again. And what are those steps in order? One, observe a thought for what it truly is, transitory vibration. Two, pinpoint the sensation it created in the body. Could be in multiple locations. Three, be present with the sensation or sensations. No craving, no aversion. Don't wish it away. Don't wish something else takes its place. Just be with it. Better yet, just be it. Step four, as soon as a new thought arises, start again. Step five, as soon as a thought about a thought arises, see step four. Repeat ad nauseum, over and over until the experiment becomes unbearable. Over and over until the heat of frustration incinerates the ego. Over and over until you consciously decide to say, screw it, drop the plates from your head, and find your own path to Mars. Over and over until you finally realize that you're already here. (laughs) 